Would you all please pray with me? Lord, truly, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This week, someone uh, remarked to me, said, boy, you're coming into your last couple of weeks here, um, your last couple of sermons. That, that probably puts some extra pressure on you, doesn't it, about what to say in these last two sermons. And I thought to myself, gee, thanks. I hadn't felt that pressure before, but now I do. So thank you for that. But it does seem to me this morning somehow poetically fitting that this week, one of these last sermons, I'll have the privilege of preaching to you, the people of Christ, our hope, that the lectionary, the, the pre-appointed schedule of readings that we follow, which was published over a year ago in the back of the 2019 Book of Common Prayer, would have 1 Peter 3 appointed for this Sunday. Because if you've been around Christ or Hope for any amount of time, it's highly likely that you've heard me at least reference, if not teach or preach, on 1 Peter 3.15, one of my favorite banner verses. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Fitting, I say, because this banner verse that's formed so much of my ministry and by extension, therefore, has actually formed you as a community, as Christ or hope, whether you realized it or not, should be one of the final thoughts that I leave with you. Just this past fall, we walked through an entire sermon series formed around what it means to be a provocative church. You remember that? I took that from that book title, The, the Provocative Church. The idea being a church that provokes people to ask the question, what is the reason for this hope that is within you? In the fall, we looked at the church in the book of Acts and the way the early believers lived lives that provoked that kind of questioning, that kind of interest. This morning, we have the opportunity to hear the voice of one of those early Christians, St. Peter, the original author of those words, and what he points to as the way to live, having set apart Christ as holy within our hearts and provoking men and women to ask us about our hope. So if you have a Bible, you'll want to take it out and you'll want to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. But let's back it up to verse 8 where our text began and see what Peter has to say to us. In verse 8, we heard him say, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Now this picks up, uh, the passage sort of picks up right where Peter left us off at the end of the passage that we looked at last week. You'll remember if you tuned in last week, how we heard Peter move our understanding through several images 
uh, of the church, first as a spiritual house being built up in the Lord, and then as a kingdom of priests serving our God, offering acceptable sacrifices. But the note that he uh, ended on and led us to last week was understanding how our priestly ministry is not confined to the four walls of our spiritual house, the church. It's not even confined to the walls of your domestic church where you're tuning in from today. But we're to walk out the priestly calling in the real world before the watching eyes of the Gentiles, which, as I said, was that New Testament way of referring to non-believers. And that even started, do you remember how? By how we interact, Peter said, with one another. And here again, St. Peter returns to that same theme. At the end of chapter 2, in the beginning of chapter 3, Peter's actually been uh, talking to the believers about how they are to do this work, uh, very specifically kind of by vocation. You know, first as citizens, and then servants, husbands, wives, how it is that we're to walk out this priestly vocation in the world. And then here in verse 8, he sort of pans out a bit again and returns to general principles that ought to guide the interactions of all believers, regardless of station or vocation. What does the priestly vocation, the spiritual household of God, look like? A community that is typified first and foremost by unity of mind. Unity of mind. Now, that doesn't mean that we all have to agree with each other 100% of the time about every single issue. There's room for diversity of thought within the church. Hear that. There's room for diversity of thought. There's room for diversity of opinions, diversity of political opinions, lifestyle choices. There's even diversity within non-essentials of belief and practice. We like our style of worship music, and we love our liturgy and the way we do our liturgy here at Christ Our Hope. But if you don't like it, we're not going to shun you. Well, I might, but I don't mean anything by it. I mean, I, heaven help me, have good friends who are Presbyterians. I have friends who are Baptists. I have Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox friends. We certainly don't agree on every point of theology. But having unity of mind doesn't mean always having to agree with one another. What unity of mind does mean is that we are all seeking to align ourselves with the mind of Christ as we seek to be his church. Thus, it means that even when we have differences of opinion, we can talk it out and come, if not to agreement, at least to mutual respect and understanding and an ability to support each other, even through our differences of opinion. In short, it means not allowing our differences to divide us. Because at our core, we are one in Christ Jesus. I think this has become one of the most critically important theological realities that we as a church must learn how to really and robustly live out in America in 2020. Because between the 
cultural drive to identify ourselves by our uniqueness and the cultural inability that we see all around us to disagree civilly and actually dialogue with those whom we disagree with, the church has the tremendous potential to arise and be known for our ability to do what no one else in our culture seems to be able to do anymore. Embrace unity in the midst of diversity. Love each other without having to always agree with each other. Disagree with each other without having to resort to ad hominem attacks and straw man arguments. In short, to be about the only place where genuine unity of mind still exists. And to be a place where from that unity of mind, sympathy for one another can still exist. As I reminded us last week, go into your interactions with one another, as Peter puts it here, sympathetically, assuming everyone really is trying to do their best. Assuming, as I quoted uh, Canon Matt last week, that we're not going to ascribe, uh, you know, uh, ill will where ineptitude suffices. Extend the benefit of the doubt. Keep a tender heart toward the other. And walking in humility that says, yeah, I don't actually always have it all together. Even when I think I'm right, holding out of that possibility that just because this is the way I see it, I'm sure I'm right. I know I'm not infallible. That's what it looks like to strive for unity of mind through sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. These are the attributes of sharing the mind of Christ. What if we became known for that, people of God? What if we became known for that? Well, it's at this point where St. Peter again turns our focus even further afield, not only to the implications of how we interact as the church with one another, but also how we interact with the community around us. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Hear that command of Peter's as sort of the hinge where this text pivots, not only talking about relationships within the church, but also shifting to talk about our relationships with outsiders as well. First, within the church, yes, don't hold grudges and, and seek to pay out others when you, feel obli uh, when you feel slighted. You would think he wouldn't have to say that, but I've been a priest far too long to be that naive. Rather, he says, seek to bless others. Basic Christian good behavior there. But then Peter takes it up a notch. But do the same with your neighbors as well. Even when they take swings and pot shots at you for your faith, don't hold it against them. Bless them. Now, that was a tall order for Peter's original audience. Remember, he's writing to a church that already has suffered overt persecution. Jewish believers that have received the scorn and, and shunning of their fellow Jews. 
and quite probably a church that has already experienced governmental crackdowns on them for their beliefs. As Father Al would remind us, just as many brothers and sisters around the world in very difficult places experience it today, that's the kind of context that Peter is speaking these words into. So it would be quite natural for those men and women who have received such ill treatment at the hands of neighbors and, and even at hands of former friends and family to want to see justice done, perhaps even hold out some hope of revenge. But Peter says, don't look for a way to pay them out. Seek rather to bless. Because blessing is what priests do. Now, we may not be facing the same kinds of persecutions in our context. We may not be reviled by our neighbors, but the call to bless those around us still holds for us, the people of God here today. Because as a kingdom of priests, blessing is what we do. As a kingdom of priests, blessing is what we do. We see this clearly in the, the sacramental and liturgical life of the church. I mean, when I reflect on it, I think, what is about the one and only thing that I am called to do and can do in the life of the church that a lay person or a deacon cannot do? Preach? No. We, we've had plenty of people come through who have preached here who are not ordained priests, maybe ordained in another tradition or deacons or, or even uh, lay preachers. Plenty. Lead? Well, no, not that either, because while a rector is called to a unique role of leadership within the Church of God, deacons and lay catechists lead morning prayer and lead churches all over the world, week in and week out. So it's not leadership. Bless? Yes. Pronouncing blessing. That is the unique charism of the priestly office to pronounce, as I've already done this morning, the, the blessing of absolution upon God's people when they are penitent, to bless the bread and wine in Christ's name at the table, and to pronounce and mark God's people with God's blessing. Priests bless stuff. That's what sets our office and vocation apart. Priests bless stuff. But in the broader sense, beyond the good order of the sacramental life of the church that reserves those things to presbyters, this is a symbolic gesture to you, the whole church, reminding all of us as well that this is what sets you, this is what sets us apart as a kingdom of priests, the vocational calling to be instruments and conduits of God's blessing in the world. You may or may not have noticed in the liturgy booklet this week or in the Book of Common Prayer, if you use it, that today is referred to as Rogation Sunday. What on earth is Rogation Sunday? Well, the word Rogation comes from the Latin rogare, which simply means to ask. This is the week that was traditionally set aside first in Europe, I think going all the way back to like the 400s as a day of penitence, and more importantly, a day of intercession, asking the Lord to keep all harm away from the community 
and in turn, send a good growing season and harvest. In England, even today in rural parishes, it's the custom to have a procession that walks the borders of the parish, praying blessing over the land and the people that live there. What a great tradition. It's a shame that we have lost it in our contemporary culture, but what a clear literal image of what I'm talking about here. You may recall the Lord commanded his people through his prophet Jeremiah to seek the welfare of the city that they dwell in. It is the vocation of the people of God as a kingdom of priests to pray for and seek the welfare and the Lord's blessing on our land on our neighbors, on our communities, even when our neighbors seek anything but our welfare and blessing in return. As we continue to work our way through the season, even now of, of easing but still cautious uh, social distancing, pay attention, people of God. Pay attention to your neighbors. You can pray blessing over them without having to come into contact with them. You can ask them how they're doing from across the street or across the driveway or across the fence. And you can begin to pray God's blessing for them, over them, over your block, over your street, over our community. You are a kingdom of priests and priests bless stuff. And then Peter, from there, goes on to reflect on the words of Psalm 34, this promise of blessing to those who seek the Lord and bless in his name. I'm not going to go into that, just see it as Peter rooting his principle here of bless, blessing and being blessed in the ancient scriptures. Before we finally come to my favorite banner verse. He says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Even if you bless others and live as God's kingdom of priests and still suffer for the sake of Christ, have no fear, says Peter. Don't be troubled. Rather, what's the apostle's guidance? Set apart Christ as Lord within your hearts. Hear that as a, a summary statement of what he's already said to us. If we're First and foremost, living our lives, having set Christ apart as Lord of our hearts, Lord of our lives, then we will be the sort of people of whom these things are true. We will seek to foster that unity of mind I was talking about earlier. We will be a community marked by love, tender hearts, humility, and blessing. And we'll be a community that is seeking to reach out and bless the world around us. That's what it looks like, very practically, to set apart in our hearts Christ Jesus as holy. It's not about having good theology. It's not about mentally assenting to Christ as a, a theological truth somehow. It means living our lives in such a way 
that the Lordship of Christ forms and shapes our behavior toward one another and toward the world. And what Peter suggests we should expect from that is a world that will quickly take notice. Set apart the Christ the Lord is holy and be prepared to make a defense. Now, that verse, like so many scriptures, has been pulled out of context far too many times and has fed rather a sort of defensiveness, I think, within the Christian community. Be ready with your arguments. Be ready to thump your Bible and shut down anyone who contradicts you. But that isn't what Peter's saying here at all. Look at the context. Do these countercultural things. Live blessing. And watch out because people are going to ask, what is it that's motivating you? Be prepared to defend what? Yourself? No. Your lifestyle? No. Your worldview? No. What does Peter call on us to be prepared to defend? Our hope. When we live in this world as a kingdom of priests and seek to bless others at whatever cost to ourselves, people are going to want to know what is it that motivates us to do that? What is driving that behavior? And it is simply this, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So be ready to say that when you're asked. Don't be ready to beat people upside the head with it. Peter says, do it gently and with respect. But it's really that simple. It's really that simple. Peter's not telling you to go out and buy a book on apologetics to shut down your, you know, atheistic neighbor the next time you talk to him. He's not telling you to go out and buy a book on evangelism to American Buddhists. He's telling you to be ready and not shy away from simply saying, why am I trying to love you well? Why have I been seeking your welfare and praying your blessing? Simple. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. All last fall, as I mentioned earlier, we walked through a series trying to answer the question, what does it mean to be a provocative church, a church that has something to say to our society and culture? It's really about this simple. Orient your life around Jesus. Be the kind of community that is marked by love, humility, and blessing. And live openly seeking to bless people around you. Do those things and people will want to know about your motivations. They will see the behavior and want to discern where it is coming from. This is my prayer for you. Christ our hope, that you would continue to walk in the way, seeking to set apart Christ as holy in the midst of your hearts, in the midst of your lives, within this community, and that you would be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is within you. Let me pray for you. Gracious Lord, all of this is possible simply because you have given us hope, because of the work that you have done in coming to us and giving us blessing when we deserved curse. 
in giving us hope when we were found in despair. Lord, enliven our hearts, our minds, our lives to respond to the hope that you have given to us, to live it out with one another and in the world so that people would see and want to know you, the hope that is within us. It's in your name, Lord Christ, that we pray it all with the Father and the Holy Spirit as ever glorified one God. Amen.